That is my title, Romans chapter 4. Well, I, I do want to, uh, I'm not going to do it today because of time, but I would like to at some juncture give us some connection between 3 and 4. But let me talk about uh, 4 today, chapter 4. Paul writes to Christians in Rome who are living in the midst of pagans and they are thriving. They're thriving. Uh, but, but, must know they must know the truth of the gospel that they may grow properly they are thriving in the midst of this this particular culture uh, they're doing very very well it reminds me as i've said to you uh, several times romans r- reminds me of the day in which we live and that things are going really really well and we're doing really good as christians we're not being they weren't being beaten up at that particular juncture um and uh, paul is writing to them because they, he wants them to grow properly. Um, and so there are some things we're going to look at in, in Romans here. We're going to talk about Abraham and being justified by faith. I'd like to just share some things with you that I believe the Lord wants you to know and want, wants you to have. Um, verse 1 says, in Romans 4, verse 1, says, What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? What, what are we going to say? Well, what are we going to say about that? He says, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. A very, very powerful statement. So what he is doing is Paul has, has concluded through the scriptures that the pagans who didn't know God were messed up and God's people were pretty messed up. You know, they had wrong understandings and wrong an idea, wrong ideas about God, wrong ideas about God. And so they were thinking that because they were natural seed of Abraham, then they had it made. That was their ticket to eternity. They were going to live with God forever. And they thought this is it. We've got his children, his natural seed. We have the law. We have the covenants. We have the promises, we got it made. And they were living terribly. Many of them were living terribly. And so, and Paul, Paul says, now if Abraham was justified, and when justified is, a, is a sense, in a sense, is you're declared righteous. Uh, justified by faith means that you are declared righteous based on your faith, not on your works. So, so uh, it means to render, or that is to show, that is to, uh, to show or regard as just or to show that somebody is innocent. So what God does and did for Abraham, he declared that he was righteous, that he met his approval, and it's as though he had never sinned before him. Based on faith, not based on works. And we're going to see what that looks like as we go. <clears throat> so Paul, uh, Paul goes on. He, he does a brilliant job. and It's not just... Uh, academic brilliance that you see it's spirit brilliance you know I, I love spiritual intelligence those of us who know what God has said and then we have given ourselves over to God that he might walk us through life properly so he says here uh, let me read again uh, verse 2 because I think much of what is said in this chapter is predicated built upon uh, this what uh, Paul says in verse 2 for if Abraham was justified by works, he says, if he, if, if, 
he was not justified by works. He says, but if he was justified by works, he has something to boast about, to brag about, but not before God. He, he does not have before God. For what does the scripture say? And I love the way he asks questions. He knows the answer, but he wants his audience to ponder this answer. He said, for what does the scripture say? And then he answers, Abraham believed God. Now, that's the, that's the crux of it. Abraham believed God, had faith in God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And so this accounted to him is an accounting term. And so it was placed on the books because he believed God, because he trusted God. God says, that's what I want. That's what I demand. That, that's amazing. So... We, we have heard so many abuses of faith, and, and as uh, if you lived through the 70s, so much abuse of faith, faith for this, faith for that, you know, faith for cars, faith for boats, faith for wardrobes, faith, you know, for uh, airplane tickets, and that's what it was used for. But our faith is designed uh, to trust God, and, uh, and then God then will justify us. Then when we trust God by embracing Jesus Christ, then God says, that's what I want. Yeah. One thing I want to say, because I don't want to forget it in my uh, attempt to share more, and uh, uh, that is that if you or I could live righteously from this moment on, it would not justify us before God, because what are we going to do about the past? We can't undo the past. We needed a sacrifice that was big enough to deal with our past, who we were who we were born as. And so the believing in Jesus Christ deals with that. So that's what faith is for. So he says God, uh, his belief, belief in God, faith in God, was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, he says, now to him, verse 4, now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace but as debt. So then if Abraham had these amazing works, it would, he would not be able to be justified if he had all these amazing works. Why? Because God would have owed him. And he could not do it. He could not, he could not do enough for God to owe him. The scripture tells us God owes no man. God doesn't owe any man anything. God doesn't have debt to us. Right. And look what he says. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace. So, you know, for example... If you were to go out and, and do a, a particular job, any job, for someone, and you came back and they said, uh, well, I'm just going to donate this to you. No, you, you're not donating this to me. You're not being generous by giving me my due, right? So what God did for Abraham, he poured out, lavished upon him grace. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, Genesis chapter 15 verse 6 the Bible speaking of Abraham says and he believed in the Lord and he God accounted or credited it to him for righteousness is that so big so so what God did was credit his account wouldn't it be wonderful uh, if, if you and I said well God I've got faith and uh, I, I really got faith 
I know that you're going to take care of me, and you're going to do all these wonderful things for me, and, and, and uh, you know I'm going to be needing some money to, to fly to Asia or to Africa or Europe or South America and do this particular work, and you look at your bank account, and it's credited a million dollars. Wouldn't that, now, that would be something, right? So what God did was he, he justified us, that is, so that we could stand in, in, in front of him without any condemnation. He credited it to our account righteousness. Because we have faith in him through Jesus Christ. We have faith in Christ. We believe that Jesus Christ is who God says he is. So we believe in so God says, now that's righteous. And he credited our account. I, I, love, I love this. And so when we talk about work, uh, we're talking about the deeds we have done, the labor we have exerted. And so God doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't owe us anything. He declared us just or innocent, free. Uh, he pronounced upon us uh, his own righteous standard, how we ought to be and how we ought to live. God says, this, I, I'm going to give it to you through my son because you believe. And so Abraham believed God. So let's see. Uh, what Paul talks about, he talks about Abraham believing God, but he wants to corroborate that. He wants to give another witness. He wants to call up another witness, so he calls up David as another witness. When I, I, I love preaching the gospel because there are a lot of witnesses you can call up to prove your case, so to speak. And so he calls up David. He says uh, in this caption, David celebrates the same truth uh, that God spoke to Abraham. Look, look at verse 5. Um, Romans 4, verse 5. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So God is saying, I want you to believe in me. I want you to trust me. I, I, I remember my mind goes back to so many things that the Lord has spoken to me. And when I, in my private time with the Lord, my prayer time, I talk to him like, like this. Lord, I don't know what's wrong with me. You're going to have to help me. It makes no sense for me to, to be fearful and doubting. You have never let me down. What's wrong with me, Jesus? I need some help. That's how I pray. Why am I fretting? Why do I think that, I, this is what I prayed recently. I said, why do I think this thing comes at me after almost 37 years of your faithfulness here? Why do I think because the economy is in a downward spiral, I've got to wipe sweat? What's wrong with me, Jesus? I use I may. You know, help me. Help me right now. You know, give me some strength here. Something's wrong here. You know, I talk like that. You, you will do well to pray like that. Because the enemy comes to make you doubt things that you all never have doubt about. One thing we know is God is good and God is faithful. We know God loves us. We know God loves us. You know, they always say the, uh, the, the proof is in the pudding. Somebody says, no, it's in the eating. Yeah, you've got to taste and see that the Lord is good. And this is what God wants us to do. And so he says, but to him who does not work, he doesn't mean that people are lazy. No, he's saying you cannot earn God's blessings. You just, God, only thing that God wants you to do is trust him. I can remember I talk about my upbringing and our upbringing, and my dad wanted us to trust him. Man. Yeah, he just wanted us to trust him. He, he just just he, he, to know I love you. I go out to work so you can eat and have a roof over your head and and. and, and and a good future, I'm out doing that. You don't have to worry about 
why I told you to do that. Don't ask me why. Just do it. And so it's amazing. I, I hated that as a little boy. I wanted him to explain it to me. Yeah. And then he, he had a way of getting that out of me. I won't go into the details. But, and so I, I learned how. It's amazing. And parents, this is good parent, parental teaching here. I, I learned to trust my dad and to do what he said the way he wanted it done. I, I learned to do that. I had no idea at the time I was learning to trust God. Yeah, learning to trust God. And so, so the person who believes on the Lord, trusts in the Lord, that you will justify me. You will declare me innocent. You will wash my blackboard so there's nothing that was on yesterday's blackboard that's on mine today. Yeah. Some of these young kids are looking at me, it's my blackboard? It's old schoolhouse. Old schoolhouse. And so he says, his faith is accounted, the person who believes, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also described the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. So what God does, he imputes, he reckons it, he counts it, he computes it, he calculates it, he places it on your account. That's what that means. That's what God does. When you and I trust God, he says, Poof, right now, my account is innocent. And there's nobody that can pro prove me guilty. Why? Because God declared me innocent. Who, nobody can go over God's head and say, no, he's guilty. Now, the devil always comes to you and he accuses you of things you've been forgiven for. And he wants you to forget you have been forgiven for them and take ownership of them again so that he can bring you down. That's how he works. He's a real devil. Yeah. But he says, David describes the blessedness, I love that, the blessedness, the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. As I said earlier, I believe I said it fairly well, and that is that you cannot work enough to be good enough for God. Even if you were perchance to be able to do it from now on, you have to deal, still deal with what was before. Wow. So... He goes on to say, blessed are those whose, this is David, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. So in Psalm 32, the first two verses, Psalms 32, the first two verses, it says, blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. So David says, blessed, happy. You know, excitedly, happy. Oh, thank you, Jesus, that you don't hold my sins against me. Why? Because I said I believe in you. I believe in Jesus Christ. He is my Lord. He is the sacrifice for my sins. And so God says, all right, that's all I want. It makes no sense for people to act the way that we act. We act like, well, no, that's, that's too easy. No, it's too easy for you. It's not too easy for God. God loves you. And that's how he did that. So believe, when you say believe, is, biblical believing is, is to think something to be true. To be persuaded that it is true. I think that that is true. I'm persuaded that that is true. It's a place of confidence in a thing that, that is believed. So I, I have this faith and you and I have this faith in God that everything that God says is true. 
Whatever God says is, is true. It's the truth, actually. It is the truth, everything that God says. He cannot deny himself. So God cannot lie. You know, that's the, the scripture. God, it is impossible for God to lie. Why is it impossible for God to lie? Because whatever he says happens. And you can put your confidence in him. And you can put your confidence in him. And it also, um, this word believes has to do with trust in Jesus, uh, that, that God is able to aid you, to help you uh, in doing something. Or God is able to save you. If God says, I'll save you just for saying, you believe that I sent Jesus, you believe that Jesus is my son, and you say, I believe he saves you and cleans, cleanses you. That, that's mind-blowing. So what Paul is writing this to um, the Christians at Rome, the Jews and the Gentiles, because he's proven that the Jews are as guilty as the Gentiles. Now, the Gentiles who didn't know God uh, were just a mess. They did all kinds of crazy things. We've, we've enumerated many of those. But the Jews thought, well, we got our ticket because it's sort of like people saying, well, I've been saved, so I don't have to worry about acting right and living right. That, that was... Uh, what they were saying. And so what Paul is doing, he's squashing all of that. And so when he talks about the blessedness that David was celebrating, blessedness, it means good fortune. It means to utter a declaration uh, of a blessing on somebody, you know, to say divine favor comes upon you and nobody can bring it back. Nobody can change that particular declaration. And and when we talk about the righteousness of God, we're talking about uh, that condition or life that is acceptable to God. Yes. That is, what God requires is that you and I trust him. Yes. That, that's amazing. Yes. That's what he, he requires. And so he declares that we are righteous. He, as it were, slams his gavel down on that sacred desk of heaven. And he says, you meet my approval. And there's nothing that anybody can do about that. Amen. That, that. That was contrary to the Jewish mentality because the Jewish mentality was we got to work for that. But some of us who have this crazy work ethic, we sometimes feel like we've got to work at it. And if we don't work, it's not real. But faith is more real than work is what he's saying here. So, so Paul goes in and asks a question, does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only. And they were thinking, yeah. You know, he says, or upon the uncircumcised also. So he, I love the way he presents this case. He asks questions that the answer should be obvious, but it's not always obvious to us. He says, for we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? How then was it put on the books? How then was it credited to his account? How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Because they are boasting in circumcision, the outward sign of uh, their covenant with God. So they're boasting in. He said, well, well, wait a minute. God declared Abraham righteous. When did he do it? Did he do it before he was circumcised or, or did he do it after? He would say, what did, what did he do? So, so Paul's asking them a question, and it's sort of like getting them in a corner there, right? And so, and, and this is what he said. Not while circumcised. This, this 
was not accounted to him while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And so all these Gentiles are uncircumcised, and they're thinking, well, well, they can't have these blessings. He says, well, God accounted righteousness to our father Abraham while he was uncircumcised. So he's bringing us all, you know, the ground at the cross is all level. There's no big I's and little U's, you know. It's not, no, you don't have an advantage over anybody. All of it is level at the cross. And so this is powerful. In verse 11, he says, and he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised. So later, God gave him circumcision as a seal. It wasn't a declaration. God had already de declared he was righteous. And so I think Gentile believers at this juncture, when they read this, they're going, wow, thank you, Jesus, you know. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And, and Paul says he gave the seal of circumcision, a seal of righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised. So Abraham was a man of faith while he was uncircumcised. Okay, am I losing somebody? What I'm saying here is that, you, that God here has, is putting the Gentiles on the same level ground as the Jews. This is amazing. This is amazing. And if somebody were to hear me say that, they'd say, oh, Don Lavelle is preaching replacement theology. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm teaching our place in theology, not replacement theology, our place. And listen what, he, what Paul goes on to say. Why did he do that? Why did God um, uh, give him the seal of, of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while he was uncircumcised? He said, this is why he did it. That he, Abraham, might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised. That righteousness might be imputed, given freely to them also. And not only that, and he's also, and the father of circumcision to those who do not only, who not only rather, who not only, or of the circumcision. So this is to the Jewish believer. He says, okay, he did it so that he would be, let's read it again, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that the righteousness that righteousness, rather, might be imputed to them also, the uncircumcised. And the father, and he, Abraham, is the father, of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, they're Jewish people by birth and by this outward sign, but that's not enough, but who also walk in the steps of faith, of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. Let's read that again. Let me read it on, on the screen. Let's read that on the screen. The verse, let's go to 11. Let me put it up there so I can read it again. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe. All those who have faith, though they were uncircumcised, though they are uncircumcised. Why? That righteousness might be imputed, given to them also. Verse 12. And the father of circumcision 
to those who not only are of the circumcision, that is Jewish, but who also walk. Now, you can't just say, okay, I got the outward sign of circumcision, so I'm, I'm good. No, 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 that's not enough. But who also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. And this is revolutionary. This is revolutionary. What God did for Paul, I believe he is doing it in our day, he's blowing the cover off this thing. Now, now, I, now what I've just preached is right out of the New Testament. It's not replacement theology. It's not anti-Semitic. What it's showing us is that we are all brothers now through faith in Jesus Christ and what God has done. So, so their outward sign of circumcision is not greater than the circumcision we have in Christ in that Christ, not the Holy Spirit, has now cut off, as it were, the body of sin so that we are no longer dominated by it. So our, we have a seal of righteousness too. Christ in us, the hope of glory, isn't it? And so let me, let me share a couple of other things with you. Uh, in Genesis 16, 16, forgive me for not having sent those to you. Uh, Genesis 16, 16. Uh, Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael. Bore him Ishmael. Right? Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. All right? Uh, and if you'll go to Genesis 17, verse 24. Genesis 17, 24. He says, Abram, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. 99 years. What is that? That more than 13 years or 14 years about, more than that uh, from the time he was declared righteous. And so what God wants us to understand, he wants us to understand the scriptures. Now, I know this is a little teachy, teachy, but what he wants us to understand is that what God, what God was after always was faith. That you and I would believe him. We would trust him. And we are declared righteous, not because we've been a goody two-shoes, uh, you know, every day, every second since we were saved. No, because we trust God. We trust God that he declared that we were righteous and that, that he's given us the Holy Spirit who, will, who does aid us every day in our walk with God. And so now we walk in newness of life. We walk in newness of life. When we're like, as I've often quoted, the sheep that falls into the mud doesn't wallow there. If you've ever seen pigs or hogs, they love the mud and they wallow there. But sheep don't. And we're sheep. And we, gotta, we want a good washing and God gives us a good washing. That's what that's about. Let's go to verse 13. Um, and so let's see further what Paul is doing. What Paul is doing is getting rid of uh, 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 Sister uh, Kemp used to always say to us, he's getting rid of some stinking thinking. You know, he's getting rid of stinking thinking here. And there's a lot of stinking thinking that we have. You know, I've, I've alluded to a lot of it in the past. I'm saying it full-throated today more so because I've gotten uh, permission from the Holy Spirit or orders from the Holy Spirit to just say it because you and I need to have it. We are, see, we are the church of the living God. We are the city that is on a hill, set on a hill that cannot be hidden. And we are the light of the world because the light of Jesus Christ, the life of Jesus Christ shines through us. And we are not to be like the world. We are to walk in faith, trusting Jesus Christ, not, not the people we trust. All right. 
Okay, let's look at verse 13. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law. They really love that law. But through the righteousness of faith. So, so God spoke to Abraham. Hey, uh, you're going to uh, be heir to the world. He says, I believe you. Sometimes we say, oh, oh, that's crazy. They just believe everything. No, you can believe God, whatever he says. So Abraham goes, I believe you. For if those who are of the law are heirs, listen, they are heirs. If those who are law are heirs, faith is made void. Because if, 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 if you are heir to the world through the law, then you no need to have faith. But God says the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. So those of us who have been declared righteous, we have to live by faith. We must live by faith. I don't see it, but I believe it. And I'm going to believe it until I see it. That's what God wants for the church. And we have multiple opportunities today to exemplify that. Oh, wow. Hallelujah. Wow. 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 So he says, for if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void, it's empty, it's no good, and the promise made of no effect. Wow. Listen, because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. So what Paul is saying is that the law did not, cannot bring these promises. The law brings, uh, shows us who we are. Without God, without trusting God, he says, no, you, you deserve to die. Can you imagine being, uh, being taken to the electric chair and you're being taken to the electric chair and, and, and God says, all you have to do is say, uh, you, believe, uh, you believe that I love you and that I want to rescue you from this. And you go, I don't believe it. Well, you're going to die. You know, the law shows us that we're sinners. You know, the law says you, you don't covet. You just find yourself coveting. You know, as I gave you this, this, this kind of very elementary example, is that if we don't have, if we have, you don't have a stop sign. A stop sign is the law that says stop at this street. But, but before the law came, there was no stop sign. So then you, you didn't break the law if you drove in front of the 18 wheeler, but you were still dead. And so that's, but it brings wrath. He goes on to say, let me go hurry. Verse 16 says, therefore, it is of faith that it, he's talking about the promise. It is of faith that it might be according to grace. So you and I, you know, by grace, you and I have been saved through faith. That not of ourselves, but it's the gift of God. That's how salvation came to us as grace, as grace. Now listen, Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom, listen, he believed. He says, I've made you a father of many nations, and Abraham believed it. It was that simple. He believed it. What has God said to you that you believe? God told me that I was saved through his word and through the Holy Spirit. You are saved and I believe it. So I've given up and you, I've given up everything. I believe it. That's what God says. That's righteous. Wow. And so he says, 
as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him, God, whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and call those things which do not exist as though they did. I like that version, but I prefer the ESV here. The ESV says, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. That's what God did for Abraham. That's what God has done for us. Verse 18, it speaks on who contrary to hope, Abraham, in hope believed. Now, this is a complex sentence for me because he says it was contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be, is what God said. And not being weak in faith, not being weak in faith, not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. So, he, so Abraham, God told him, you're going to have all these children. You're going to have natural seed. You're going to have a lot of spiritual seed. He said, you're going to have all these children. But he's 100 years old. And he had no potency. Gone. Sarah, postmenopausal. He said, Say, Abraham, <laughs> Abraham, you're going to still have a, have a child, say, yeah. 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 He said, man, Sarah's 90 years old. She had, she had 89. She's never had a child. You're going to have one? Yeah. yeah. Well, how do you know, Abe? God told me. Didn't look right. He had no potency. He was impotent. Sarah, dead womb. No life there. And then one day, one day, it all came back. And there's, there's a little Isaac in the womb. It's amazing. But against hope. So you may have situations that seem like that, but you continue to believe God. Whatever God told you, continue to believe God. Amen, somebody. Listen, verse 20. Verse 20. He did not waver. At the promise of God through unbelief. Now, Abraham, 100 years old, got a, a woman, a, a wife almost 90 years old, and they have never had a child in all those years they were married. And he's now impotent, and he could believe God. What about you? What about you? Do you believe that God's going to do what he told you, that he promised you? Yeah. Now, now Abraham, yes. Chapter 4 here is designed to show, to show the Jews the Gentiles' position as well. The Jews and the Gentiles are now in the same, we're in the same family. We're all seed of Abraham. That's what this is designed, but applicably it is so ready and ripe for us here today. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. Unbelief is wavering, but was strengthened in faith. He was strength. That, that's mind-blowing. Older, weaker in body, but, he, but his faith was strong as ever. He was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, boasting in God. That's what that means, glory. Boasting in God, trusting God, and being, listen, fully convinced 
that what he had promised, he was able to perform. And that's your God too. Not only your God, your God and Father. What he promised, he's able to perform. And therefore, it was put on the books. It was credited. It was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed, generously given, placed on the account, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses, our trespasses, our sins, our wrong. Jesus was crucified. He was delivered up because of our offenses, and he was raised because of our justification, our declaration of righteousness. And you are as righteous as Jesus is resurrected. You are as righteous as Jesus is resurrected. Hallelujah, somebody. Yes, amen. Amen. I'll be back in a minute.